how are we ready to see the shadows in ourselves and also in others with compassion and, and grace? Hi, thank you for joining me. I'm Hecate, and this is Finding Okay, a healing podcast for survivors of sexual assault and abuse. And I'm here today with Elliot from Real Human Better. And this is our Samhain episode. Happy Halloween. Happy Dia de los Muertos. And now it's time for... Trigger and content warnings for this episode include the following. Seasonal depression, anxiety, PTSD, suicide, death, spirituality, substances, the pandemic, pregnancy, trauma, and brief mentions of the occult. Please check in with yourself and make sure you're all right to continue. So this is kind of an an interesting time of year. It's beautiful where I am and loads of colorful trees and leaves falling like rain right now. It's kind of stunning. Yeah, but also the sun is getting much lower in the sky and is kind of fucking off around like 4 or 4.30. And it's getting, it's getting dark and got a lot less daylight. People with seasonal depression are starting to have a harder time. And, uh, and you get kind of internal this, this time of year and, uh, and you start to kind of turn within. So I wanted to talk about shadow work and some of the, uh, the more darker internal things that are kind of relevant this time of year. But thank you for joining me, Elliot. Thank you for having me. It's, it's good to be able to talk about these, uh, these darker times in the light. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and thanks for for presencing how how beautiful it is and how long the shadows have gotten. That keeps blowing my mind. I feel like I was living closer to the equator for a while and being up here with these really long shadows. Like it is fall. There are long fingers of darkness like coming for <laughs> us all day long. <laughs> Uh, I really, I like it. I really enjoy it. It's the quality to the light that's uh, super special, and and definitely watching uh watching these like streaks of gold come into the the trees. It reminds me of how much gray hair I've gotten this year. And, like, <laughs> I have my streaks of silver. They have their streaks of gold. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think I think a lot of us have. <laughs> added added some grays and silver to our <laughs> to our manes <laughs> and and they're so pretty i really like seeing all the gray hair that's come up i know some of it just started out of like oh my gosh i can't get my hair done for a lot of folks but it's, it's nice your gray hair is beautiful i hope the the silver foxes and vixens continue to to shower us with their mm-hmm. gorgeous manes <laughs> yeah some people hate their grays and and i mean you know, it's everybody's choice, but certainly I I got excited when mine started coming in. Um, mm. And you never, you never really know what they're gonna look like because you know people have all different sorts of of colors that that come in. You know, some it's more gray, some it's white, some it's silver, or some some salt and pepper folks out there that looks really cool. And uh, and so I was really excited when mine started coming in, and there were these like bright silver hair so I'm I'm psyched it's kind of like the 
there's some childlike joy, actually, <laughs> like which was kind of <laughs> totally. uh, unexpected. But like I looked at them and I was like, oh, this is awesome. It's like the the strands of like the glitter that used to be in the My Little Pony mains. Oh my gosh, and I was yeah. like, sweet. <laughs> I was psyched. <laughs> And I think like people, people be doing that. People get into the highlights and the lowlights mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, look, mine are free. Well-earned highlights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I earned these. That's how I feel about mine. Like I earned this shit. Right. Totally. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yay. Thank you for inviting me to, to share this time too. And it feels like it's crone welcoming time. You know, maybe mm-hmm. part of what's so scary about the the season for so many folks is it's like, oh God, mortality. Like everything's going <laughs> to die. Oh my God. And it's also yeah. like a logistically stressful time. Like as a farmer, you know, this is the time that's major harvests and also like how's the preservation been going and I don't know I feel like I've gone through moments in the summer where you, things are so abundant you can take it for granted almost and then yeah the fall is that cold reminder like have I prepared well enough for this yeah and the squirrels really make you question that because they're just going nuts oh man yeah the squirrels I mean, not, not to have a pun I didn't mean that but I mean <laughs> but they are <laughs> But my lawn is just covered with these stressed out squirrels that are Mm. just so high energy. That's their total focus. And I'll look out and there'll be like 20 of them on my lawn all digging and storing and collecting. And they're just just total focus and running all up and down the trees. Busy, busy, busy. Yeah, like it it makes you think they're, you know, they're scurrying around the lawn. You're kind of scurrying around your brain like, do I need to? What do I need to? Oh, shit. Like. (laughs) definitely definitely and i think this 2020 we've you know come to terms with the fact that it might be a a cold and lonely winter so it's like an added impetus of like have i seen the people i want to see do i have the things set up the way i want them set up for a winter yeah um but it also is a particularly brilliant looking october here in this neck of the woods, this New England-y part of the woods, I feel like it's a much more golden season than we've had in a while. Mm. Lots of green and gold. Still plenty of brown, which you got to love, but mm-hmm. it's a very vibrant autumn. <laughs> yeah, I've got some really vibrant oranges going on. I'm still I'm still waiting for my f- favorite reds because I'm a sucker for those like bright crimson, mm. red, scarlet maples. And I've got like a favorite maple tree on a neighbor's street where I walk my dog, and uh, and I'm still waiting for that tree to go up because it's it's it just lights up. It's the most beautiful red maple I've ever seen. So I'm I'm excited for that. Looking forward to it. That's awesome. I, I love that about trees. We can really connect to them, and they do such a good job of getting ready for this cold season. You know. Yeah, that's true. And I love it. Speaking speaking of like skeletal shadow stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I often think too about how trees, what was it? There is like an experiment where they tried to grow trees in space and it didn't go well because there was no wind. So the trees like did not, <laughs> they didn't get strong. They didn't like become big, strong trees. Oh, I didn't hear about that at all. I should probably check my resources on this somebody snopes me on this um (laughs) but uh yeah I feel like I heard this story at some point in my life and it stuck with me and it made a lot of sense where 
you you kind of need wind. The more wind exposure you have with plants, it seems like the stronger they get. And I think we share a lot of that as we are exposed to tougher conditions. <laughs> we yeah. do get we do get stronger a lot of the time. Yeah, the natural adversities of life. Mm-hmm. And that you know, cold season is sort of part of it. That wind, wicked exposure to the wind that happens when all the leaves are gone. And I think the winds speed up a bit. <laughs> Seems like they're just mm. more intense. But it's part of what makes us strong. Like our, our shadows, those dark parts that are tough to get through, really, when we can get through them, they make us such more complete, like strong trees. The trees were meant to be. <laughs> With the the time of year, it's it's very internal. You do end up kind of turning inward a little bit. And yeah, definitely. The reason I I bring up shadow work isn't just because it's you know spooky, but um, <laughs> inappropriate. But uh, but that kind of stuff kind of it comes up for people. You turn inward, and you might run into some stuff that is uncomfortable. It it might be a hard time of year because you don't like going inward, and and you're uncomfortable with some of the stuff that's waiting for you in there. Right, and I think the less we look at it, like the scarier it gets. Man, exactly. I, I'm always. It's always the most scary to come up against things you don't know. I don't know. Mm. It might also be part of the New England Halloween tradition to be thinking of like the Salem witch trials, but what it, mm. you know, tragic experiences happen all the time because we don't know what's really happening and we make up a crazy story that's so much scarier than the reality mm-hmm. and respond out of that fear of the unknown. Yeah. And, yeah. Why be scared? It's an interesting thing when i have the when i have the space to be like i'm scared right now i'm always so grateful for it cuz it's an opportunity to think dang all right here i am i'm scared what's happening <laughs> what's, yeah. what scared me am i safe physically like okay if i pass that checkpoint then there's a whole bunch of other questions to ask sometimes i get scared cuz i'm not safe physically <laughs> And I think having been in those experiences, I've learned, like, I can't go to haunted houses, like, like the fun of adventures, like haunted hayrides and things. Oh, mm. man. It's just, it's not fun for me. I don't remember the last time I did that. Yeah, no, I, I'm not really down either. I'm like, oh, the, the spike of adrenaline, like, I, I have that in my daily life. I'm good. Yeah. And some people, <laughs> like, deal with it really well. And there's been really nice, I, I've been seeing, like, PSAs on the internet lately. Like, if you can't handle your adrenaline, please don't come to haunted houses. Like, it's not cool to attack haunted house employees. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, amen to that. I think I would, I can't remember. It was a really long time ago. I was a young teenager. It was one of those things. That's what everyone was doing. We are going on a haunted hayride, and I really didn't want to do it. And I was being a stick in the mud, and my friends talked me into it. And I kicked somebody. <laughs> I kicked Oh, them. no. I kicked somebody in the face because they grabbed my ankles and it scared the bitch. You know, I was just like, whoa. Well, somebody grabs you. That's a physical attack. Like, right. Well, I went, yeah, I I just reacted and I felt so bad. Oh my gosh. Like as soon as they let go and I, you know, the moment had passed, the adrenal spike had gone through and I was like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Like, like, this is your job. And I just freaked out. And I was like, I'm just going to go back. (laughs) I'm going to go back to the beginning of this trip. And I don't go to haunted houses anymore because yeah, like they, they are very scary and, and sometimes it's fun, I think, but uh, some people myself included it's not so fun for us and it's cool that that's 
good to know, you know, it's the yeah. not, not knowing that that hurts people. <laughs> if I know that, I just stay home. Watch horror movies with all the lights on. Or you could work in a haunted house <laughs> if you want. Right. I've done that. I'm fine with that. I'm fine being on the other side of it. Like I'm not jumping out at people. No, thank you. I don't I don't like right. that. But like if if you want to just put me in a corner and I can just be creepy, like I, I mean, I'm all about it. I I very good at it. <laughs> I'm very good at being creepy. Right. And I can totally like own that performance part of it. And again, it's like the knowing, like, oh, I know that's just Bob in the mask over there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's that not knowing that totally is scary. <laughs> like, is it Bob or somebody replace Bob? <laughs> and we don't <laughs> we don't know who it is under the mask. And it's fun to be scared, for sure. I find that I love horror movies. My friend's like, oh, yeah, it wouldn't be Elliot. It wouldn't be a conversation with Elliot if we didn't address a moment where you totally annihilated your nervous system this week. Um, <laughs> but it does, it gets kind of fun by myself. And I don't know what that's about. It might be because the world is so terrifying these days. And I like fantasy terror more than the actual terror. Seems almost like I'm building myself up building up my ability to be terrorized in a more acceptable fashion somehow. I love horror movies as well. Like we've talked about this. You, you and I are both all about it. They're so good. <laughs> so I I fucking love that shit. And and I always have binged horror movies ever since I was young. And uh and I hate like some of the judgment that you get for that from some people. I find that really not helpful. Yeah, especially you know, if you have any any kind of like mental health diagnosis, they're like, this is probably really bad for you. Why are you doing this? Yeah, I think there's something Isn't to be this- said <laughs> for the <laughs> fact that so many people I know with like anxiety or depression troubles uh, gravitate towards horror movies. Why don't we Why don't we shed some curiosity there? You know, what's the yeah. what's the medicine people are finding here in this media? There are some really bad horror movies, though, in all fairness. 100% terrible. I've seen some terrible shit. <laughs> right. And, and there's like there's different kind of bad, too, because uh, I, I love me some, uh, some low-budget, shitty, campy horror oh, movies. Like, yes. I'm on board for that nonsense. And then I've also seen some really just like toxic horror movies that were just like not helpful at all or that kind of fucked me up oh Um, man yeah and and so you know like there's yeah pros and cons of of that line of things (laughs) (laughs) there there definitely is i think um if i had to find like some good there because there's definitely that toxic i feel like some of the gore elements in horror especially modern horror are really intense and, and for me, they're not necessary. And then, of course, somebody will change my mind with a movie that's, uh, like, driven by gore. Like Martyrs, right? Which I don't know if you've seen. I haven't. It's not a movie I just, like, recommend to people. It'll, like, change your life. You may not want that. Maybe your life is doing <laughs> just fine the way it is. <laughs> like, it's not necessary. I but- actually saw that movie come up on a list I read lately of, like, some of the most intense, like, or, or banned or... <laughs> Yeah, horror movies, and and that came up as as I think like a, a pretty big example of like gore kind of stuff. I, I can't remember what they said about it, but I yeah. haven't seen it. It's like super extreme with the violence, and then it also is maybe one of the most epic like uh, 
that goodness that we find in horror films, which I think is pointing to like the horror, the daily horrors. Like Mm -hmm. why is Rosemary's Baby still such a potent film? Because it's Mm -hmm. dealing with this horror of, I mean, there is a tangible horror to pregnancy, right? Of like having something else live inside of you. Mm -hmm. Yes, totally natural, but also pretty creepy if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, there's there's like the other side of the, of that one is like the the experience of pregnancy as a beautiful experience and creating a new life versus pregnancy as parasite. And then on top of it, there's these layers of motherhood and bodily autonomy for women and yes. like it's deal it's the psychological layers of um agency that are stripped from us and it's normal. It's like totally normal. The only mm-hmm. reason it stands out in Rosemary's Baby is because she's convinced, well, because she's I don't know. Has anyone not seen this movie? I don't want to give away the a ending. A lot of people actually have right. not seen Rosemary's Baby. Um, there wow. are a lot of classic and I think like really important horror movies that a lot of people just haven't seen. Well, so that um, that one I will recommend. <laughs> like, I would too. Definitely. I mean, like definitely trigger warning, like maybe, you know, prepare yourself for some, some gaslighting as well. That's a really important oh, part yeah. of it as well. That was a part of what made it really scary is, um, is just like, oh yeah. The yeah. Med- that medical gaslighting. Thing. Yeah. Oh. There's medical gaslighting. There's a wife and motherhood role gaslighting. There's oh yeah, there's some definite triggers if uh, if for folks who have had close contact with that kind of trauma and haven't been able to process it. On the other hand, there's those of us who have gone through that trauma. And for myself, like yeah, it's kind of reifying. Maybe that's why I love that movie so much. Is I'm like, see, yeah, like, I I got Rosemary. She feels me. She knows this is not going right. Like something's not right here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, seeing certain things reflected is is really important. And I mean, like representation is important all over the place. And then there's a certain amount of like representation in trauma in terms of trauma and that can come up in horror movies in really interesting ways so yeah there's there's some some movies or some books or some things or some songs that people are like well why why would you like this isn't this just you know like assuming that the healthiest thing is just avoidance and that's not necessarily always the case avoidance isn't necessarily always the correct thing the right thing and um yeah curiosity over judgment Amen. I think it was, I think it's a young quote, Carl Jung, uh, what you resist persists, this mm. like tagline. Mm-hmm. I think that happens with the avoidance issues too. Like not to put that on it, there's timing. Time is an important factor. I feel like all of human life and being is sort of like making kimchi or like a fermented food where like time is an important <laughs> ingredient here if we want this dish to come out right like you can't just yeah. rush rush this process but then when the time is ready to to begin your processing of trauma or or just nasty times um <laughs> maybe, maybe you don't consider them trauma it's just tough times mm-hmm. once you're once you're ready to process that stuff if we avoid it, man, it just keeps sneaking up on us. It like haunts us. That's what I'm dealing with. I'm <laughs> clearly, yeah. clearly life is like, you need to deal with some stuff, Elliot. And I'm like, I think I could avoid it with these really great video games. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then of course it just keeps coming up. It doesn't go away. It's not getting any better. Luckily I don't have an elevator in my house or anything like that. 
anything that resembles a hotel. So I do feel like The Shining is a for a formative horror movie for me of like, how are we doing? What level of Jack are we today? Like, <laughs> wow, where are we at in this movie? How far are we gotten? I love that movie. And that's another recommendation. If you haven't seen that classic, that's another classic. Yeah, I rewatched it recently with a friend and it's that is a fucking great movie. Have we mentioned that it's The Shining? Did we say that? Yes, we did. Oh, good. Um, okay. But, yeah, but but saying it again is always great. Um, that's a that's a really fascinating movie, and just like the isolation, it's deeply psychological, the darkness within, and uh, and then like what what comes out in certain situations, and yeah, and I, what I love about that movie too is is you find yourself asking like, I mean. How would I do if I were in that situation, that isolation situation? And you just have no fucking idea. We're all getting a slightly better idea these days. Um, <laughs> that's been interesting. I can't ignore that. But yeah, it it does things to to the psyche. And I think I think some of us are getting a little nervous, like you said, about heading into these into these colder months. Because uh, I mean, our state just went into like the red warning. We went from like code yellow to code red. So we might be seeing things change again. So much fun. This is so exciting. I'm I'm being mm-hmm. facetious. I shouldn't do that. Ah. <laughs> 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 oh. Yeah, maybe that's like, hopefully, if I could offer like, I'm living with my folks right now. I don't know how many other people have moved back in with extended family or have had family move in with them. But maybe that's a good Halloween Sawen tradition we can start during a pandemic. Let's all watch The Shining before the winter and come up with like an emergency plan. <laughs> yeah, part of part of what I love about that movie is, yes, I mean, it's a hotel with ghosts, but you there's only so much that you even need there to actually be ghosts in that movie because it's just like so much of it is also just fucking Jack. Well, and that's addressed too, like in the beginning where you find out that he does have a history of of being abusive. And what I think is shocking in that movie, like if you're really paying attention, the ghosts are not messing with anybody, really. Like Mm -hmm. they're there and their appearance, the awareness of death is upsetting or, you know, disturbing, maybe is Mm -hmm. a better word. But the only violence, the only danger anyone's in is of somebody who won't face the the ghosts within them in the moment, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sort of this thing of, I don't know, like the past might haunt you, but it's not going to hurt you as much as the past you've refused to deal with, you know, his never really coming to grips with his alcoholism in a way that wasn't shame-based. I think that's a huge part of it too, is like, man, this shame-based rehabilitation we've bought into is not effective for people. Mm -hmm. Whether it is domestic abuse or substance abuse or what have you, making people feel worse about it, they seem to um, double down when when it gets tough, right? When we're we're isolated. Yeah. Just horror movies again. There was one last thing I wanted to say, and that's just the beauty of being able to experience fear within a safe space. And I think that's really important. And I think that's something that gets overlooked uh, when people are judging folks with trauma enjoying horror movies. Is that that's really important? And there's actually there are some Buddhist monks 
that watch horror movies uh, as a meditation technique in order to, to face fear. When I think about shadow work, I often think about just the the flip side of our nature that we may not often look at. Like when we see people who super annoy us, I feel like it's annoying us because it's part of us. It's part of our shadow that we actively avoid, right? Or ignore or resist. Mm -hmm. And when we do shadow work, it's about really bringing love and attention to those places. And again, not with shame or judgment, but really love. Like, hey, part of me that's been having a hard time and then I beat up on constantly. Maybe maybe you're serving a purpose. Maybe you don't intend to do harm. Maybe there's something here that we haven't curiously collaborated on. And in ignoring you, I'm, I'm doing myself a disservice. Mm-hmm. But that's me. How do you see shadow work? My experience with shadow work, I think, tends to be a little bit like dialed up just in terms of how my brain works and and my own spiritual experience, my own just experiences of the world and of self and articulations of self and my own psychology. So certainly my experiences will be atypical for some people, but I will actually share them in this episode because I feel like every time I share them, I come across somebody who's like, oh, fuck, thank God. I thought it was just me, and I thought I was fucking out of my mind. And never shared this with anybody because I didn't think anyone could relate, and I thought that someone would lock me up. <laughs> so so I have some weird experiences with with shadow work that I'll share. Separate from, from that, uh, it's... A lot of it is is as you say, it's it's those parts of ourselves that we tuck away. And whether we repress them or ignore them, a lot of the time it's stuff that we might find undesirable or disturbing. It's it's the corners where we don't want to look and the rooms that we don't want to to go into in our own minds. Um and I, I a lot of the time I think of our minds and our psyches as being hallways filled with doors and um, some of them get locked over the years. And, uh, and I think like a big part of being healthy is even if you don't go in all the doors, knowing what's in all the doors has always been really important to me. And that's been a part, a part of shadow work is opening the doors, checking the contents. And even if I decide that I don't want to hang out in one of them, (laughs) (laughs) I that I'm not locking it up and making it a scary door or avoiding it because as as you said like what what you avoid what you repress that's what is gonna pop up for you or become a problem yeah um but my my own experience involves you know what what will lead into me talking about something called uh feeding your demons and this is a tibetan Buddhist practice that I will make available to people through this episode. You can check the episode notes and I will include an article and maybe a video uh, with this process. And this is something that while I recommend it and I think it's a great process, I think it's one that you should discuss with your therapist or whoever you're seeking treatment from. 
to kind of just double check because it could potentially be problematic for some people. Um, so I just want to do kind of put that that disclaimer up there. It honestly is a practice that solved a huge kind of shadow work problem for me that had been an issue for over a decade. When I was a teenager, I started having an experience that I, I mean, I, I really started to, to separate myself into light and dark pretty much. And I think having a diagnosis, which I now understand to be a misdiagnosis of bipolar type two, that diagnosis with the whole, what, what comes with that is, uh, oh, you have manic cycles. Oh, you have depressive cycles, you know, the up and down, the black and white, the good, the bad, um, it kind of made me think of myself in dualistic terms that were not helpful at all. And that kind of turned on me and I started separating myself into different parts, uh, parts that were desirable or undesirable, things that were good or bad. And so I ended up with with a really concrete articulation of like a shadow self. And I would have dreams where she would show up as a different person. And so I started separating myself into different people. And that made me feel kind of crazy. I acknowledge that as an unhelpful term, but as far as the experience, like I thought I was losing my mind <laughs> is what I mean. Uh, it felt not healthy. And I started having dreams and she would talk to me and uh, she would, she was creepy as hell. She was scary. I was afraid of her. It was all the parts of myself that I was afraid of and that I was pushing away or rejecting. And that's not not healthy. And uh, and she started asking for a name. She was asking me to name her. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do that because that seems like a slippery slope. And, and all of this seems pretty messed up. So no, I'm not going to give you a name. <laughs> and uh, this went on for a while. This went on for a couple of years. I ended up going to a shaman at one point that my sister was having healing sessions with. And I went in there and without saying anything about it, she said, oh, honey, what are you doing? <laughs> she said, you have to stop this. Like you're cutting yourself in two, like you're pulling yourself apart and you're separating yourself into two different halves and you need to put yourself back together. This is not, this is not good for you. And she gave me a ritual to do to heal myself, to unify myself. She said, I, I need you to do this reunification ceremony. And I did. And I, and I did a ceremony for something else that she had mentioned as an issue. And I think they were a little bit helpful, but ultimately I think I just wasn't in a place where I was prepared to fully cope with the issues that she was bringing up. I think I just wasn't ready to do the healing work that she was requesting of me. I just wasn't ready. And so ultimately that shadow self kind of, that really intense experience of like her as another person went away for a while. But then I started kind of having dreams where she would pop up again. And this was, this was happening in, uh, in college a little bit. Um, as I was finishing my degree uh, a few years ago, I had this dream. I dreamed of her for the first time in years, and she was even more terrifying than she had ever been. 
and she she had always had black eyes, no sclera, just completely jet black eyes, even paler than I am, which is, you know, really scary looking. She had fangs for teeth, but every tooth had a thousand teeth. And she was fucking terrifying. And she had named herself. She had named herself Socio. And I was like, well, fuck, this is just lovely. Great to see you again. <laughs> it's like shit. And uh, and then we did this practice in one of my classes, uh, Feeding Your Demons. And so I welcomed this demon and I fed her and I did this practice with her. And that actually, that was the healing that needed to occur. So she stopped being scary and she actually stopped being a thing because I welcomed her and I just brought her into the light and I let her speak and I listened to what she had to say and it stopped being a problem. And she became a part of me in a way that she hadn't been before. So even though I am referring to her as separate, she's no longer separate. That ceased being a problem. So that is an articulation that is very dramatic and might be not at all an experience that someone else might share. But if you do have that like really strong articulation of a shadow self, this might be a practice that would be helpful to you. And if you have some some really intense fear stuff, this might be a practice that might be helpful for you. So I'll make that available. But yeah, I just kind of wanted to share that because that was definitely, I think, the strongest articulation of shadow work in my own life. And then other than that, I, I really think um, that energy that I tend to to work with in my own practice is, is a lot of looking into the dark or going into the dark places and um, and finding the strength that's there. And uh, and yeah, a lot of that that crone energy, uh, crone Crone energy is has been the energy that I've been most comfortable with in in my life. Man, I appreciate like the depth of what do we call it cathexis really that that you experience. You know the emotional energy uh, that goes into creating the details of the story, which mm-hmm. I think in Freudian psychology it's very negative. They think you know oh you've got all these details embedded to an emotional reality that's only your own. You know, but I. It's all reality is only your own <laughs> emotional <laughs> reality. And I do think there's something to be said for having um, the, the courage to look at those details so that you can describe them, not only to other people, giving you an opportunity for resonance, but also helping us all join you on that journey of, of what you went through. And gosh, I mean, I... I didn't have those details figured out, but that feeling of fracturing myself, especially in like a pubescent period of who am I? How do I navigate as like an adult in the world? What is, oh, people like this. Oh, people don't respond well to this. I guess I'll just like cram this other less lesser thing, the shadowy thing away and bifurcate myself. Mm. I feel like I went through that similar experience but it it wasn't quite the same and it was it's really cool to hear how how you brought yourself together after such a time i always feel like my shadow self is an angry little girl and it's not as cool it's it's (laughs) cool visual like oh my god my inner monster is like a it's a toddler it's a fucking screaming toddler (laughs) 
like, doesn't have the elegance. <laughs> I love that though. But on, honestly, like the way mine acted, like mine looked terrifying, but it was childlike ultimately when I invited it to the table and interacted with it. I was like, oh, oh, sweetie. <laughs> And it was childlike in a way. And I, I think that's a really important observation. Thank you. Oh, my my pleasure. It's interesting because when you mentioned a shaman who helped you, I, when I was around maybe the same age, it sounds like, I went to a shaman who is embedded in this practice, this concept that like, oh, your childhood self does become split and it's gone and hidden itself away in one of like the caves of yourself. And now almost like, oh man. I might re- misquote some Greek myths here, but it's Odysseus, I believe, right? The voyage? Mm-hmm. Nope. Okay. I'm Wh- which one are you thinking of? Going into the underworld to get his lady back. He's crying the whole time. He plays a liar. Oh, shit. Or- um, Orpheus. Orpheus? Or- I wasn't, wasn't it like somebody in, isn't, isn't her name like Eurydice? Or something? Yes, Orpheus enters the underworld in order to bring Eurydice back into the world of the living. It is Eurydice. Isn't that the one yeah. where he fucks up and he turns around and loses her forever? Yeah, he's like super close. <laughs> he's like yeah. at, the, at the gate of the living world and he's just to make sure because he's like mm-hmm. been thinking this whole time like, oh man, this guy's messing yeah. with me. Because he has to have faith faith. that she's behind him. And uh, if he walks all the way into the land of the living, he gets her back. But he doesn't have that faith. And he turns around to check that she is there. And she's ripped away back into the underworld. Uh, It's such a bummer. Such (laughs) a bummer. bummer. (laughs) It's a great story. Such a bummer. (laughs) But yes, Orpheus. Good story, bro. (laughs) Yeah, no. Um, (laughs) The Greeks have a lot of them. <laughs> hey, it's me. Quick note. I fucked up. It's pronounced Eurydice. My bad. You know, you can tell they were into drinking because there's a lot of tragedies just constantly. Like, I feel like that's a... Do you need drinking for that? Isn't that just life? That is life. But for people <laughs> to want to just keep talking about it all the time, I feel like somewhere there's like... <laughs> there is like a Cheers Greek tragedy mashup waiting to happen. It's like... <laughs> Oh, man. There's Orpheus again. He's crying. This can't be good. <laughs> like, uh, I would watch the shit out of that. I would, too. Especially if, like, <laughs> the, if the Jim Henson Creature Company got behind it. I think it'd be a gold mine, frankly. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, any, anyway, so what, mm. I was th- what I was thinking about was, um, you know, traveling... Yeah, going deep into the underworld to try to retrieve parts of you, but it's entirely faith-based. You know, the shaman was telling me that they would go and like encourage your child, your inner child, that it was safe to come out. And I was like, "You have got an uphill fucking slope, my friend." Like, I don't know, I don't know <laughs> if I buy this. And like, do you think it's safe for your inner child to come out? And I was like, "Not at all." <laughs> like, <laughs> no. Have you looked around? The world is crazy, and oh man, it has not gotten any better since I was a teenager. Um, so, I mean, it has, I shouldn't say that it's gotten better, but it's, there's still major stuff happening where I don't know, man. I'm like, maybe my inner child's got its stuff together. But what I've noticed is that format, my inner child doesn't just stay locked away in a cave being sad. It shows up and it be sad in front of me. It'd be mad in front of me. And I have to 
talk with it when it comes up. I like the idea of feeding it, you know, but like definitely giving it some attention. Otherwise mm-hmm. it pulls, it'll pull a little sneaky maneuver on the side. Then I yeah. have to deal with it. <laughs> or, or sabotage you in some way. Start tripping you <laughs> for attention. Right. And that's, I guess what I'm calling like the sneaky maneuver, but it definitely is. It's those moments when I get in my own way, like so very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the the feeding it process is inviting it and then asking questions like what do you need? What do you need? What do you want? What do you have to offer? What can you do for me or what do you have to offer? And like those are those are some very revealing questions. And once you get answers to those questions, the unknown shrinks dramatically. So even if it's mm. still scary, it's a lot less scary. At least, at least the unknown part of the situation is is taken care of, because, um, like you said, that's you know the unknown is a is a big one for for us. Yeah, I love that. I love those those three questions too. I feel like if I could answer those three questions for myself, I'd be in good shape, you know. But <laughs> maybe I do need to pose them to my subconscious a little more often to get the answers I need. <laughs> mm. Yeah, there's so much. There's so much richness to be had when we are willing to lean into the shadow and explore that that place. For some reason, I always think of like the dark forest, you know, over the pathway. Mm-hmm. And this whole interesting social vilification of dark woods as if they are these scary places. And, and vilification of people who know about nature as witches or magic people. Mm-hmm. And really, when you get into nature, it's all about like learning the names of things. It's like making friends, you know? You're like, oh, yeah, I know this tree, this oak tree. Like you were talking about your maple that you're looking forward to seeing the changes it's going through. And you learn the names of the frogs that you're hearing or the other animal sounds that you hear. And it's it's no longer scary. Didn't, didn't Disney do a shtick with that in Snow White way back in the day? It's all like scary, scary, scary. And then something happens and Snow White's crying in the forest and it's like all the eyes are just adorable the animals. eyes in the woods, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just adorable, like saccharine, cute little things. Oh my gosh. That's like, man, that's like real life right there. Nailed it. My partner grew up just outside of Boston. There's a streetlight outside his family home. He lived at an intersection. He's a city boy. And I grew up for the most part on the edge of a forest and like a wetlands. Very much, you know, sure, it was it was like rural suburbs. It was a very wooded area. And I went camping a lot. I was a Girl Scout. And so I spent a lot of time in woods and forests and interacting with wildlife and observing wildlife and interacting with different animals in terms of understanding their behavior, how to alter my behavior and how, yeah, how to interact with, with, uh, with the natural world around me. And in the early days of us dating, he came to stay with me in my part of New England, you know, on the edge of this forest. And he would go out to smoke in the night on the uh, on the porch and you know there were porch lights 
But then the yard would slope dramatically on this hill, just deep. And then there was just forest, like just a wall of black forest. And so he would stand there in the porch lights smoking and with just a wall of black forest, of dark forest in front of him that he couldn't see, but he could hear things in it. And it was wildlife that he wasn't used to. And so he would hear the sounds of animals at night. He was freaked the fuck out. So he'd just come in and he's like, there's something out there. And I was like, what are are you talking about? And he's like, there's something out there. I can fucking hear it. And I'd go outside and and I'd just like look into the darkness and and I'd listen and I'd be like, that's a deer. And he's like, how do you know? I'm like, because I can hear it because that's what a deer sounds like in the leaves. Or like, a, you know, hear something even louder. And I'm like, oh, it's louder. It's That means it's small. And he's like, what are you fucking talking about? I'm like, trust me, like the smaller the critter, the more fucking noise they make a lot of the time. And just, <laughs> just be like, oh, that's like a raccoon or a possum. Like, don't worry about it. For the most part, the people in my life, when when they go into survival mode, he's the first one that goes into a fight mode. He'd stand out there on the porch and he'd be freaked out and he'd He's just be like, I'm I'm about to like punch a deer in the face. And I'm just like, you don't have to. <laughs> it's just a fucking deer. <laughs> he's like, well, it's freaking me out. <laughs> just like, oh, fine, God. come inside. <laughs> yeah. And like that that dark forest thing. Like, and he wasn't used to it. I was. And like understood what was in the forest. And, you know, and as soon as I'm able to like name things. Yeah, it's like kind of spooky staring into a dark forest, you know, even if you've lived there for a whole bunch. But like I've gone into it. I've built fires in it. I've, you know, sat in it and I've sat with friends around fires and and had some drinks and, you know, dug in the earth and buried pets over there. And, you know, like there's there's a story to everything. And like, you know, like, yeah, that's the fucking raccoon that's going to like try and steal the bird seed tomorrow like don't worry about it i think it's yeah when you grow up there too you get used to like well nothing bad has happened yet you know mm-hmm. and you when you hear stories about like oh so a woman is attacked by something and you're like well that's highly unusual i don't even know that person you know like <laughs> <laughs> it's i remember i grew up on um a lot of boats and in the water and swimming was just always the thing like in big water or falling into the big water, whatever. It was like not a, it was never something I thought about until people that hadn't had experience in the water would come out with us. And they were scared of like leviathans under the water. Hmm. And I remember as a child realizing for the first time that like, I can't touch, like, no, of course you can't touch the bottom. You never think about it. It's like not an issue, you know, <laughs> who cares? And then suddenly it was like, oh my God, I really don't know what's down there. Should I be scared? <laughs> Should I be scared right now? Like, <laughs> nothing's ever happened to me or anyone I know. Not one person I know has been eaten by, like, a giant squid or, <laughs> like, yeah, like, there's never, never have I ever. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because I know as a child, I, like, kind of allowed other people's fear to leak in. And these mm-hmm. highly unlikely stories to be like, oh, man. Is that real? Should I start creating fear about this place I don't know very well? But and I guess that's just to say, like, I feel like my insides are a void as well. <laughs> like the internalness, <laughs> looking at my internal shadow. It, uh, I wish 
it felt more like that forest, like a cathexized place that I had named the details. But often um, it does feel like a void. Like I have not spent time there. I don't know what's going on in there. And it is really, um, oh, maybe I should be scared. Other people seem scared of this. Maybe I should be scared too. I think I think rather than void, I think the word to use is abyss because a void yeah. implies that there's nothing there, but the abyss is potentially full of all sorts of things that you can't see. Definitely, definitely what I mean to say, the abyss. Mm. <laughs> and it feels mm. like much like the void, it's immeasurable, I guess, is is the other part of it. And coming across like a part where all of a sudden the bottom drops off. And, and and I think that's something that happens at certain periods of our life when all of a sudden, you know, you can touch the bottom or you think you can touch the bottom or you can at least see the bottom and all of a sudden, boom, like the bottom drops out internally. And there's an abyss that you sense and that you can't handle. And I think adolescence uh, definitely... <laughs> has a lot of abyss to offer people it is the abyss yeah (laughs) like oh fuck what is this i can't i can't see the bottom i don't know where where does this end where does self end i don't like it how long am i gonna be treading this goddamn water (laughs) Oh, oh man but I think I also like the the shadow season um, coming around because it it's almost like permission to be in the abyss. Like rather than keep struggling with that mm-hmm. head above water, it's like, well, let's let's go down. Why don't we go down here and see what's cracking in this abyss? You know, that was a really bad pun. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> This is a loop back to the Greek myth. Uh, I don't know. I think it was actually kind of amazing. So <laughs> what's cracking in this? Oh, God. <laughs> like, I'm so glad you still hang out with me. I don't know. <laughs> I promise I think I'm hilarious. Like, I say stuff like this in public. It's embarrassing. Uh, uh. Fantastic. Oh, yes. Uh, but yeah, I think the idea of naming things and taking a closer look at things, of, of separating things in these dark spaces and saying, what's this? What's this? Being curious. Again, that curiosity rather than just rejecting it. Look closer and, and everything gets more more manageable. And just just bring some light with you and figure out how, you know, what that looks like for you. You know, how how do you bring light into whatever darkness you're facing? What makes it possible to be curious rather than just afraid? I thinking again of that like dark forest, um, there's a really beautiful example, again, with my partner, now that we live together in this the same neck of woods of my my area of New England. And I think a great example of the unknown. And the dark forest is the fucking sound that like a fox makes. Mm. The vixen scream. (laughs) And that's the sounds that you will hear out of the pitch black night. And if you don't know what it is and it's like, well, clearly the forest is haunted. And that's like a fucking terrifying lady ghost off just like screaming in the distance um if you don't know what that is it's scary as fuck (laughs) when you're in the dark and that's what you hear 
and uh, and he's he's come walking home. My partner's come walking home in uh, you know after work, and he has to walk up a dark street. And there are foxes in our area, and you know, so he'd hear this scream, and would be able to hear that it was moving, and would have to walk up this black street going towards that sound. And that was terrifying for him before he knew what it was. And then as soon as you know what it is and you see foxes and you, you know, see them raise their babies, you get to watch the kids play when they come out of their den. And that's great. Like that sound gets a lot less scary. And, and it's just that identification thing is a huge game changer for humans. And that can be in the natural world, and then that can be in the internal world as well. And that can that can get kind of um, problematic, you know, when we start over-identifying things and then putting people in boxes and diagnosing and, you know, the labels and, and all that stuff. Um, so that's like the other side of it that can become problematic in certain ways. And I'm not saying that all of that is bad, but I'm saying that it can be. It can be problematic. Well, I think you you bring up a great point about being comfortable with with not knowing. You know, we have to accept the mystery on some level, you know, and not mm-hmm. seek to. It feels safe to be in a box sometimes, and if you've been put in boxes by other people for a long time, I don't mean physically. That's a whole other mm-hmm. issue. But like psychologically, if you've been pigeonholed, you know, it might feel comfortable. But in so many ways, yeah, where is a. Uh, where is like the tomato cage not allowing the tomatoes to really grow? So I love I love the idea that yes, we get we get we still haven't embraced that not knowingness and if you don't embrace the not knowing, accept the mystery, we kind of still can recreate the same problems. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, what else can we say about the dark forest? You had mentioned the witches that live there. <laughs> oh, yes, right. And fearing the um, people who interact with the unknown. Definitely. People who have um who aren't as scared. Like that's always interesting. Mm-hmm. Noticing how socially we might be suspicious of the person who doesn't share our fear. Go, why are they so comfortable? What do they have to hide? Which maybe we think everyone else is hiding things on us when we hide from ourselves. If you mm. have a lot of hidden hidden parts of yourself, there may be a an internal assumption that others are hiding things from you as well, which is actually just a reflection of how you've kind of been treating yourself. I keep thinking of like preparing that that whole like prepping for the cold and prepping also for this time where we're stuck together. <laughs> <laughs> like you you may live alone and god bless if you do but you probably you may also have to live with others and um in close living quarters for for this season how are we braced how are we ready to see the shadows in ourselves and also in others with compassion and and grace because just like in the shining they'll probably show up <laughs> <laughs> these things will probably show up and we might want to have a, a plan for how to handle them man i got i scared myself a little there <laughs> where a little like oh god what is the plan have we organized <laughs> a plan yet have we have we had the family discussion mm-hmm. about when somebody loses it <clears throat> and also i the, something about that whole um that ties in with alcohol again seems to be a theme for me today but have you seen the lighthouse? 
No, that's on my list as well. That's a scary, that's an interesting, scary movie. That's like scary mermaids kind of, but also mm. scary, scary isolation probably more than ever. And a dovetailing of like that drinking isolation and like losing yourself, forgetting yourself in that moment, becoming your demons. Mm. That's a crazy movie if you're if you're interested in movies about isolation and alcohol. But if for those who may be listening who are either uh, noticing challenges they have with themselves or with other people um, around alcohol consumption, uh, you're normal. That's a normal thing just because there's so much uh, social padding around alcoholism acceptability doesn't mean it doesn't have a really severe effect sometimes on our memory and our capacity to communicate effectively with one another, not to mention our capacity to communicate effectively with ourselves. And mm-hmm. that can get incredibly scary when we're isolated. The cathexis we may have subtly have had within ourselves, uh, the alcohol can be a fuel on that fire and it, it can become a very visceral experience for you. So if you're noticing a correlation, um, you're not alone and there's help out there in the world. There's lots of people with training regarding alcoholism, but also people who can relate to you without you necessarily needing to make a huge life change. Small steps, like what about bobbing baby steps and ways to, to chat with people in your family about substance consumption. Well, we use consumption rather than abuse or words that other people can get defensive around, but just being mindful of those consumption patterns. And if you're in danger, what do we do when people are in danger? (laughs) How do we handle Mm this? Well, and I think I can uh, resource drop in the episode notes. The stats are climbing during this this time of crisis, this COVID situation, because things are just so difficult for everyone right now. Thank you for bringing that up. That's that's a big deal, and uh, and I can include some resources for for people, some some hotlines or organizations where you can get some some help uh, if those are issues that are cropping up for you right now. Thank you. I realized I was uh, <laughs> I was mentioning these things, and I'm like, I have no resources. Like I I don't know how to help you, but I know there's groups. I know there are hotlines. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's been an it something that's come up for me and my groups of friends and family for a long time. So we have sort of internal structures now that help us uh, manage (laughs) any issues that come up, but it's definitely a thing. And it's a real big thing in the holiday season for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just so socially acceptable. I'm looking at the fact that like liquor stores are considered essential services. And there's obviously a, Sorry. Yeah. It's just, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like obviously um, alcohol is a really big part of uh, a lot of people's identity in the United States. I'd say we have this prohibition post prohibition culture and it's, I, I don't want to vilify it. I'm not trying to turn it into a demon that we don't feed, you know, <laughs> but we, yeah. we definitely want to address it and uh, addressing that shared experience thing where you're, you're not the only one if it is something that's been coming up. It comes up in colder weather, it comes up in darker seasons, and it comes up with more social isolation. So you're not alone, even if you mm-hmm. are are alone, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's an important thing to be said. Yeah, you're not alone, even if you are literally alone. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a weird time for everyone. <laughs> 
Seriously. Something I do this time of year to help with the the seasonal depression, because it does start coming up for me, is um, oh, even just mentioning this time of year, I just oh, yawned. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, I just get so tired with the whole light thing. And some things that have helped me is I got myself a light alarm. And that's helped a lot with sleep regulation issues that I've struggled with my whole life, but I especially struggle with this time of year with it just being the daylight hours being so short and me not being a morning person, having really strong sleep inertia. Um, it's hard for me to to climb out of sleep a lot of the time. Yeah. And I also think just, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big one for like staying up late a lot. And I think that's a pattern that I've had since I was a child because that was when I got to be alone. Like I needed time to myself and I felt like that was the only way I could do that was when other people were asleep or, Mm. you know, gone or something. But, uh, and so that's a habit that's been difficult to break. And I got myself a light alarm that has really helped with sleep stuff. And I, and I think really helps with sleep regulation because that's something that a lot of people with PTSD struggle with uh, with fatigue and sleep regulation sometimes. By a light alarm, I just mean like you set a time and then a half an hour before the alarm, you get like a simulated sunrise that will slowly like bring up the light and it'll like rise like the sun and then go to full illumination like at the time that you set the alarm for. And then the sounds will go off and, you know, I chose something less jarring than, you know, like one of those horrible noises um, that I just hate because it starts. I don't like starting off my day with an adrenaline jump. It always felt bad for my nervous system to wake up alarmed. We even call them alarms. I don't like it. (laughs) But yeah, instead, you know, that that slow simulated sunrise and then the bright light in, in the room that helps me wake up a little bit more smoothly and has helped a lot. And then I also like the big thing that I do this time of year is I just double my vitamin D. And, you know, so that's a supplement that I take. I take my multivitamins, but then I also take like vitamin D on top of it. And that's something you should discuss with your doctor before adding any supplements, blah, blah, blah. I am not a professional. Discuss supplements with your doctor. But definitely most of us are deficient in vitamin D. That is a fact. There's a very real chance that if you haven't gotten that checked or you're not taking vitamins, that you're probably vitamin D deficient and that affects your immune system and it also affects mood. Uh, So that's something that you can definitely do this time of year to help yourself. Uh, Yeah, vitamin D is a very good idea, this this go around. And it turns out uh, my mother (laughs) is reminding her to take some because we've both been in like a real nasty mood lately. And she was like, oh, right, there's less sun. And I had to like remind her that genetically we, we both had blood work done a while ago, years ago. And it turns out we just do not produce a lot of vitamin D or like any, like most bodies, human bodies produce vitamin D from the sun on their skin. Mm-hmm. And we just don't really do that. So that might be a thing for folks too, if they're feeling, if they've gone to their doctor and they're getting regularly low numbers in vitamin D, like this might be. You too (laughs) might be a person who needs a little extra uh, vitamin D from their intake, whether it's vitamins or your food. Yeah. And lights in general. I love love that alarm clock. I've been throwing up um, 
like lots of different lights around. It's weird. Like <laughs> pulling, pulling like lamps out of garages and, you know, putting up Christmas lights ahead of time. Yeah. And I think I'm not going to call them Christmas lights anymore. They're just lights now. That's just what we're calling them. They're mm-hmm. lights. I, I usually say like twinkle lights. Oh, uh, yeah. I love twinkle lights. That's a great name. There's also some people call them fairy lights if they're just the just the white ones. Some people call them mm. fairy lights, but I like twinkle lights. Hey, twinkle. Yeah, I've got a whole string of them up around my room, and I found some that have a remote control. Whoa. I have them strung up around uh, where you might have like a crown molding and uh, and just kind of loops of them uh, around the whole like upper perimeter of, of my room. And then there's a remote control that I can use to dim them on like, there are like 10 different settings for like dimming them. And then I could even like make them twinkle or like oscillate in brightness if I wanted, but I did fuck that up the first time I tried it. Yeah. I I brought them home, put them up and then accidentally like hit the wrong button and they just started strobing. And I was standing there with my partner and I have a seizure disorder. So so he oh, was like God. grabbing the control and he's like, why did you buy seizure lights? I'm like, I'm sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't mean to. But um uh but they're they're very nice. I like them a lot. And uh yeah, and I just love that fucking remote control and the the dimmer option. That makes me very happy. That is so nice. Yeah, there is a lot to be said for mood lighting. And if you've never played with it in your own home, this is a great time of year to start doing that. Or outside. Try to keep lights cast downwards so that you're not messing with the nocturnal life too much. But mm. a little a little light that you can turn on outside can be nice and comforting. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for remembering the nocturnal friends. That's a really good reminder. Oh, yeah, they're out there. I've been seeing a lot more of them, and I, I feel like it is because there's less of us mucking about it in the evenings nowadays. Mm. I love taking, bats. like, walks at twilight, and I love being out at the time of day where I get to watch the birds fly off to bed and then watch the bats start to come out and then mm. swoop around in the sky. And, and I love that I live in an area where I get to see that and – uh yeah, and where there's a healthy bat population. I am so grateful for that. Yeah, it's. I feel like it's been a while since I lived in an area with lots of bats. And I don't know if there are lots of bats, but I'm seeing more of them than I have for a long time. And I'm happy about that. They're so cute. They are. They're adorable. They are. They look a lot like my dog. You know, it's <laughs> ha- Halloween season. I'm seeing all these pictures of bats and they look just like Chaya, but she's got like Tyrannosaurus Rex arms and they've got like pterodactyl arms. <laughs> That's the major difference. Yeah, I definitely like one of one of my dog's nicknames is, is uh, little little fruit bat. You call her my little fruit bat. And I smooth her ears away from her face and I go, oh, you're a little fruit bat. And that's, yeah, she's got that little, that little black dog fruit, fruit bat face. It's very sweet. So cute. Oh, I love big it. brown eyes. They are, they are so cute. And you start thinking like, well, where did this Dracula fear come from? And then I guess there are mega bats that are like six feet long. <laughs> mm. And that would be, that would be a little unnerving, I suppose. Unexpected. Well, there's the fruit bats are huge, like enormous. And then there's the, um, oh, what's the name of those like crazy hammerhead bats or something? 
Those look bananas. Uh, if you've never seen seen those, oh shit! Hammerheaded bat. Are yeah. they part of the mega bats? A mega bat. Yes. Man, enormous. They are so um, big. They are huge. And uh, yeah, as far as like the Dracula thing, like I mean, there is the vampire bat. Like that is a thing, and definitely that that fear of of parasites that we have. Yeah, like the the Dracula myth is a pretty fascinating one that I personally just kind of adore um reading the original dracula mm. is, uh, is a great thing if you've never read that book i definitely suggest it same thing with reading the original frankenstein definitely suggest that because it's a very different story than you might think having grown up with the various versions of the frankenstein story in movies the book is very different and mary shelley is a fucking genius and i adore her but um yeah, but the Dracula is like the seducer is really interesting. I love the idea of like a parasitic dude who just sucks your blood, but he makes you feel sexy about it. I'm like, <laughs> oh man, this is like the the perils of dating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, definitely like there's so much wrapped into that, and yeah, that like love hate relationship we have with uh, with vampires, like the monster that you love, that whole thing. Ooh. Messy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Complicated. It's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> this relationship is complicated. Uh, yeah. Well, and what what I found really interesting was also uh the Twilight phenomenon, like when that was big, oh, what just did not get talked about a whole lot was how fucking toxic the story was, like the relationships in it and the the personalities that were at play, that this was like not at all a healthy relationship that was being explored. Like it was like, oh my God, it's such an amazing romance. And it's like, this is fucked up. Like this is an abusive relationship. This is really like, these messages are messed up. What is going on? Like you read the books and Bella has no fucking personality at all. She's just like, I I mean, I, I loved, um, you can find it online but somebody their their pen name is like cleo linda and she does uh movies in 15 minutes oh i loved the twilight one because she just referred to bella as pants because she looked at the character as like a set of pants that any girl could just like hop into (laughs) and i i definitely appreciated that observation because it's like being clumsy is not a personality stop it (laughs) And that's kind of like all she had going in the book was like, oh, she trips a lot. And it's like, ah, give me more. <laughs> and just like obsession as as love. And that's fucked. And, uh, and not a great message, especially for like teenagers. Ugh. Right. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, because my memory is such a blur these days was that around the same time that like 50 shades of gray was sort of also outed as like this is not (laughs) we should not be looking up to this as like a relationship health i think like 50 shades of gray was like a little bit after that but yeah i loved how strongly the bdsm community came out against that whole like the book and the movie and saying like this is wrong this is not how this goes this is fucked up this is abuse and I don't you dare associate BDSM with whatever the fuck this is. And then also just like really concrete things like them just just being like, don't use zip ties. 
that's not good. You can really <laughs> hurt someone. You can cause nerve damage. Don't use zip ties. And also, don't be fucking abusive. Consent. Right. Consent is a thing. Uh, you yeah. can have like, what is it? Consenting non-consent play. You know, that's, that's yeah, a exactly. thing. Have a safe word. Yeah. And again, it's like weird. I guess we are still, we as a society are so ready to look at our shadows or at least look at other people's shadows, but man, we got to get to a healthier place with it. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think that is something that we're all just really navigating together is, is like, all right, let's look at all this messy shit that we have like in the closet that we, (laughs) that we've been ignoring and just, uh, all right, let's, let's clear this out. Let's let's hold some light up to, to all this bullshit and um, let's fix these old problems. And uh, and figuring out how to do that together is really difficult. And I think I, I love how you focus on the issue of shame and the way that we've been weaponizing that in our culture right now and looking at like, yeah, but is that really helpful? Is that how anybody grows or how we're going to actually fix things. And I think that's a really beautiful point. I love that you've been shining a light on that whole shame, that shame demon. And, uh, and then holding up like curiosity over judgment as well. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, those definitely have been what's getting me through. So I'm glad they're resonant with other people. That's great to hear. I, Mm. I definitely Notice that the judgment, that's me like kicking that poor freaking <laughs> haunted house employee in the face, <laughs> right? My, my split second judgment that was, judgments exist essentially to keep us safe. Mm-hmm. And then how do we get to a place where we can slow ourselves down, assess our safety and, and then make our, our move it really helps to stay curious the whole time and just keep asking questions, which is not the reflexive thing that your instincts are programmed to do. It's like this human extra thing that you do. So yeah, just holding curiosity constantly. It keeps me from kicking people in the face because I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I have such a pain body. I feel so wounded all the time. There's a really good chance that if I'm not staying curious, I'm going to be like, why'd you hurt me? Rawr! And then have to be like, oh, I'm not hurting. Actually, that's like a past... I'm just feeling a past wound has nothing to do with this moment. Um, <laughs> I'm reacting in a, in a moment that's not what this moment is. So the curiosity thing's been huge for me. And I think realizing how, how good I've become at weaponizing shame because we're immersed in this culture of it. And I'm really good at the monkey see, monkey do thing, unfortunately. I'm really good at repeating the things I see other people do around me, especially if I'm not curious and conscious of it. It's so easy. Shame feels so horrible that it's so easy when we feel it to immediately project it onto somebody else and to feel that horrible thing, which also feels unsafe. There's probably childhood shame moments that may have actually physically been unsafe and are really confusing for us now as adults. The hardest thing is definitely not weaponizing our shame against other people, which is super easy to do, but recognizing when other people are doing it, I think is an important survival tactic for this election season, for sure. People don't want to deal with their shadows and shame and they want to make it about the other person. We call this polemicizing, making an issue polemic. It's white or black and it's one or the other. It's you or it's your shadow. 
and really that unification that you were talking about with yourself and your unifying ceremonies. I think if we could see more unifying ceremonies, I don't know what they would look like, but I believe that would really help us pull back on some of the shame weaponization. It's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard when, when somebody's yelling at you to come back with a calm response. I am not good at that. Like you were mentioning your partner, like yelling, he's going to punch a deer in the face. Like I feel <laughs> that. I feel that totally. It's like, you're yelling at me. Like I can yell too. I'm yelling. <laughs> and then you notice like everyone's just yelling. Nothing, is, <laughs> nothing has gotten better. Nobody feels any better about the situation. Hmm. You're just yelling. You just added yelling into it. It's hard. It's a hard cycle to break. It's hard when we get into our Jack moments, you know, wherever you're your shining lodges, mm-hmm. you know, we all get trapped with these people and with our enmeshment patterns where the way that we process our shame, which often is not with accountability, it's usually like burying it, making it part of your shadow so that, you know, you don't embarrass yourself and no one else has to look at it. That kind of thing gets, gets nasty and they do come up, but come up and haunt you constantly. Yeah. And I, don't really think shame is within us. I do think it's an outside force, like a, a little hobgoblin, a little ghoulish thing that'll show up. It plays on your guilt and it plays on, you know, other lack of curiosity you have, the other judgments you have about yourself. But I don't think it's part of you. I don't think you need to like give it a lot of space at the table, as it were. If when your shame comes up, you can say, hey, interloper, you know, you're really, that's, that's like the biggest part is being able to identify like, wait a minute. No, you're not from here. You're not, you don't go to this high school. Like, (laughs) how the hell did you get on this yearbook committee? Um, You don't even go here. I have a lot of feelings. (laughs) Exactly. I just have a lot of feelings. Yeah, no, they, you don't need to catch that person in the trust fault. You don't need to listen to that person <laughs> at the yearbook meeting. This person doesn't go to your school. This person's not part of you. It's, Can I see your invitation, like a, sir? Yeah, like it seems like you're here making quite a ruckus. What are your? How did you get here? <laughs> Who invited you? Because your shame is is just showing up and it's making a terrible ruckus of things and it hurts a lot, which makes it super hard to take accountability. And I've got a homie and he's always saying that. He's like, you have to sit with the shame for it to go away. You got to like sit it down and be like, hey, Buster, here's the thing. Yes, I may have forgotten to call my mother on her birthday for the last five years. But you know what? Oh, oh no. I'm going to call. I'm going to call her today. And you don't get to like make me feel bad about not calling her right now or, or whatever it is. You know, the shame monster that shows up and is like, Arr. you know, have you supported um I don't even know. Everything I say is offensive is how I'm feeling in this moment. <laughs> what is and that's and there's shame for you. Shame shows up and is like, everything you say is super offensive. Maybe you should just shut your mouth. And for whatever reason, I'm like, you know, this guy's got a great point. <laughs> and it takes it takes other other parts of the self, I think, that have been shored up or or even outside friends to be like, that's uh, that's not right. That doesn't make any sense. You're not always offensive. So you are sometimes offensive. Yes. <laughs> that's, we can't lie to ourselves. But that's, that is somebody at this table who's here to make trouble and isn't actually here working in our best interest. 
Well said. Yeah, a big a big question that I've been asking to try and combat shame is okay, so like I mean identifying is a big one, like identifying that okay, so that's shame. Like this doesn't ooh, I don't like this feeling instead of just curling up with it and just letting it, you know, run its course and continu- continuing to spiral with this horrible twisting feeling. How about instead get curious and and ask instead like what what can i do instead or what can i what can i think instead how can i approach you know what i'm what i'm thinking about differently like what different questions can i ask and a big one that i've been kind of looking at and battling shame as as well as uh is in terms of uh with the the work that i'm doing is as being a better white ally and with racial issues that are going on right now is I am find myself thinking back into the past where I've had like awkward interactions where I've said something that was probably really like uncomfortable around maybe some people of color like and have just been like an awkward fucking white person <laughs> where I could have done better thinking of those like racial tension moments where I could have done better and just curling into shame about it and then just realizing also like listening to to black folks talking and and people of color talking and and saying like hey like we don't need your shame it's it's not helping the situation actually like white shame isn't actually making things better for us you know could you guys deal with that and and so trying to do that work internally and like okay so like that's not helping them recognizing that how can i how can i change this up instead of just like feeling shitty about weird moments that I've contributed to in the past. How can I just be like, okay, so I didn't do that very well in that moment. How can I do better in the future and just kind of shine some love at that and just let it go and just recognize that I'm not making myself better by feeling shame about that awkward moment in the past. And I'm not actually making the world a better place for black folks by continuing to shame that awkward moment in the past. And so this isn't helping anybody. And how can I just be better in the future and not continue to beat myself over the head over (laughs) something that, I mean, I hope a bunch of people forgot, like... (laughs) (laughs) And I'm and I'm sure they did. I think, um, and it's great that you point out that shame it really doesn't uh, serve anybody. But we are so programmed into it, partially because we just don't have tools for dealing with shame. Usually, the tool we're handed is blame. Like, oh, you're feeling same thing with fear. Oh, what are you going to blame? What are you going to project onto about this thing? Mm-hmm. So you don't have to look at yourself. Um, which is scary, but it's, it's shame really doesn't help anyone. And at the same time, it's like the basis of scarcity culture. It is the basis of, like I mentioned some of the rehabilitation culture we have this concept that you have to admit, <laughs> admit powerlessness before you can get any help. Like that's crazy. You're mm. super powerful. All people are incredibly powerful. And this idea that you need to feel shame and you need to feel bad. Really, you only need to feel shame or feel bad so that you pay somebody else to make you feel better. Uh, you don't need to. They need you to. 
um, for this weird culture of consumption that, again, I think we're in COVID especially noticing it's just not, it's not serving us, frankly. We don't feel better when we consume more stuff. It doesn't fill the abyss. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't fill the abyss and it doesn't take the shame away. It might offer like relief, but when we're stuck in the cycle, we're going to feel like more ashamed again. I think about your share of like retreating into the self and, and kind of getting more self-conscious about it and not having the opportunities which would make you a good ally, right? Having the engagement, as you said, where you learn, all right, this is my experience. This is somebody else's. This is what I can do actively that's helping. This was some other thing in my own reality. It's it's uh, it's yeah. important to recognize, I think now more than ever, because it's become so insidious, this concept that you should always feel ashamed of something. And somebody always has something to gain from your shame. I mm -hmm. think it's a, a false yield we're trying to obtain. I don't think it's helping anybody at all, frankly. Well, and I think we got the message kind of over time or growing up, or there is this idea that like, well, you have to take responsibility. And we got the message that part of taking responsibility was feeling guilty or feeling shame. And that's not entirely true all the time in terms of like feeling feeling guilt or feeling remorse. And then not being able to separate guilt or remorse from shame. And so I think there's like an immediate association with, I have to take responsibility. That means I have to feel shame. No, bad association. Right. Investigate that. <laughs> well, and I'd say to, to the adults um, who are listening, I'm pretty sure they're all adults listening. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I might get some not. adolescents. There might be some young adolescents that are looking for help with something. But I mean, I hope they're of a decent age, considering some of the fucking language I throw around here. Okay. We're not trying to ruin your life, I promise. Um. Yeah. Also, but, but what yeah. we were talking about earlier, like, don't use uh, zip ties in your BDSM, kids. Like, <laughs> yeah, seriously, there's safe. There are safe groups for you people. I promise for all of us. Um, what were you gonna say though? <laughs> but I was gonna adults. say just. This to the adults, to the adults listening, um, and to the adolescents listening, you, the things that we do, the way we respond to children really do inform the adults we end up having. And I know I've had this experience. I'm sure every child has had, every person has had this experience where something happened, you're supposed to show remorse. And the adult that was monitoring or what, making sure you showed the proper remorse, it like wasn't enough. You know, you didn't yes. show that you felt bad enough. So you had to go perform really, mm -hmm. like really showing up extra yes. sad. Yes. And um, performative and emotion. The, big. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Which is a hard. Uh, it's not unreal. This is an, a neural rewiring that people as young people are developing. They're actually making these wires for the first time, these connections. And if we can all be a little bit more compassionate with them, I think that we could help reduce this, mitigate this shame in the cycle by, you know, if it, I don't know, this idea that like a kid really needs to be like, you do not feel bad enough about this. Like maybe check in with yourself as the adult. Like, what does that mean? Bad enough? Where is that <laughs> coming from? Like, be a little curious about that. What, what did you, do you not feel well? Maybe you need an apology. Maybe this is about you and not about this young person. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't know how I got there, but I'm really glad we did because it seems important. 
<laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. We, we definitely learn as kids that our dark places, like adults don't want to deal with it. Adults get sad when they see sad kids and they like want to fix it. And that can mess you up as a young person. Yeah. She says as she sits with her like creepy little inner child, my creepy inner child toddler. <laughs> Unrelated, but I wonder what it is that's so creepy about little girls to people. Like across cultures, they show up in horror movies all the time. And I'm like really fascinated by that fear of little girls. If you ask me, it's the subjugation of the feminine. Burn. It's like this, this toy. Yeah, it's just like this, like, you don't know. This one might be the one that grows up and like fucking switches the whole script on you. <laughs> Eats the world. Eats everybody. And the other, like, let's see, because we like little girls. We want them to be, what do we, how do we usually gender little girls? We want them to be powerless and cute and. Yeah, like saccharine mm-hmm. and submissive. And it's a, it's a weird thing to think like maybe they aren't. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> maybe we've been wrong this whole time and they're actually incredibly intelligent and they're just not letting you know. Yeah. And also maybe they have a plan. <laughs> maybe there's a plan. Don't worry if any um men's right movement people have walked in we we haven't organized we're fine we're good we don't even have a phone tree going yet Mm -hmm. so you know (laughs) man i really i really wish the men's right movement would get behind self-love like come on y'all everyone else is taking accountability for their their feelings i think you could too that'd be great yeah men taking accountability for feelings that that sounds that sounds lovely yeah the ones who do, and I say this as someone who's attracted to men, they are really attractive. They are like, they're likable, you know? Oh, yeah, that shit's hot. It's super sexy. So if you're wondering why you can't get women and you're a dude, it might be that. I don't know. Man, we should edit that out. <laughs> back back to that everything you say is offensive bit. <laughs> well, why was that offensive? You saying like, hey, like maybe take responsibility for your own emotional existence and then saying like maybe if you're not doing that that's why you're not finding partners i love that that is somehow offensive (laughs) i feel like yeah how do i know that because if i was to say that to a dude at a bar i'd be super worried about walking to my car later by myself you know like (laughs) like that's the kind of thing some dude's gonna come back and like you know attack you about like why are you going to say it like that? You're just like, I don't know. I thought it was good advice. Uh. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I know. And then I hear from my male body friends. They're like, it hurts me that that you're scared of men this way. And I'm like, yo, it hurts you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my feelings are super hurt about it. Trust yeah. me. <laughs> like, you're not alone. <laughs> it's fun. It's so fun being alive. What the heck? We. No, it's. It's a good time. And again, like if I if I hadn't survived the stuff that I've survived, I wouldn't probably be so flippant about it. And that there's something to be said, I think, for surviving scary things and being able to find humor in them because you made it. Yeah, that's a big deal. And it's uh it's all it can also be incredibly uncomfortable for people who haven't survived similar things to hear somebody making light of it. Um, but it's so important. Like the humor that I found with other survivors in conversations, uh, like joking about this kind of stuff, 
God, it makes right. people so fucking uncomfortable. <laughs> and, and totally. And there's so many, I think about it like gallows humor and there's different mm-hmm. kinds. You know, I feel like I have one thing when I'm in a group of survivors who are women who identify as having survived some of like the domestic and social abuse issues we've a lot of us come into contact with. But um, then there's a whole other gallows humor from people who have served in active war zones. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't get it, man. It's just not funny to me. But that's because I haven't lived through it, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's in no way my place to show up and be like, you guys need to tone it down. You know, if I'm in that space yeah. for these people to do that bonding. You need to feel like, this about it. Like, yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah. I mean, like, ex- again, with like the performative thing, you know, just kind of feeling like other people owe us certain things are or, or, yeah like trying to tell people how they should feel about their own experiences or how they should interact with it i was i was in a really interesting like online virtual space and it was in uh it was in a facebook group that was for uh ptsd memes and uh and i'll, I'll bet some of the survivors listening are like i fucking know what group you're talking about it got real weird uh, I had to leave because they basically like they finally like put something like an announcement on it that just said like look trigger warning for the whole group there's tons of triggers we can't we're not going to use trigger warnings on any of the posts we just announce that there are triggers in this group and it's like okay so this is a group for people with PTSD but you're not going to use trigger warnings on any of the posts and just say like hey if you're here you might be triggered by one of the posts. And then there was some like really upsetting shit that was in there because it wasn't just, it was for like across the board PTSD. So you had people in there that were, that had, you know, survived sexual assault or abuse or domestic violence. And then there were also veterans in there who had served in active war zones. Um, And you got like a bunch of that like dark humor because it was a space that was specifically for a lot of dark humor and very different (laughs) kinds of dark humor coming from very different spaces and people really setting each other off and then being abusive to each other about their responses, about their PTSD response. (laughs) <laughs> and it was oh, it was really fucked up and i was finally like you know what i'm good uh, like i remember the post too like and and seeing it come around the second time and then seeing people like being abusive to each other and i was just like i'm good i'm, I'm gonna check out go to another ptsd meme place I'll get my memes somewhere else guys <laughs> this, is, this has been lovely but <laughs> but bye <laughs> Man, and that is, that's the toughest thing, I think, when we are making, like, space for shadow work, you know, space for our shame, space for that dark stuff, is to, yeah, build safe containers, or at least brave ones, where the rules are kind of laid out, or at least the understanding. I think trigger warnings in a a mixed trauma group is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. Mixed trauma, just like real life, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I cannot imagine just uh, not wanting to do that, like take that extra moment to give people the heads up on things. Uh, yeah. And it's yeah. also like, what a bummer that the the admins weren't able to take a stronger role. Or maybe they tried. You never know. But yeah, it's tough when you've been abused for so long to know anything other than how to abuse people, right? 
it's that yelling thing. Like, Mm -hmm. oh man, something I've done or said has activated you and you think I'm yelling at you, right? Psychologically. So you start yelling at me, but now you're yelling at me and I'm going to start yelling at you because all we know is yelling. (laughs) Oh dear. Oh no, this is tough. And um, man, what an interesting learning experience that you got to have and then share with us. And I hope people uh, remember that that their pain, you're special and so is everyone else. Like your pain matters and so does everybody else's. And how do we hold some compassion for ourselves and others with that? Depending on what kind of veteran friends you have or people who've been in um, active war zone, I should say, because not everyone who's been in an active war zone was a soldier in that situation. But the people that I know who have been have been soldiers and they have a certain kind of yeah, gallows humor and black and white way of seeing the world that makes it really hard for me to relate to them when they need to get into a sensitive space and also when I need to have one held for me. Doesn't mm-hmm. make either one of us right or wrong. Um, no one's having like good feelings or better feelings. No one's being a better human, really. It's just a matter of uh, sensitivity to our context. So I hope we find that for each other, the Samhain like warm, sensitive places for each other. Light a candle for each and every friend, right? It's plenty of light to go mm. around. I was just thinking there's plenty of light to go around when we put conscious effort towards it. <laughs> yeah. And this time when the veil is thin, you mentioned all of the holidays we separ- celebrate and remember. The holidays we celebrate and remember are all about um, the dead right now. I think it's important to keep making spaces for grief throughout the year, but right now is a really important time to be honoring the the sacrifices from our harvests and also the the idea that the dead things don't always go away. Just like the creepy ghosts and the shining. <laughs> They're kind of always there energetically and, and we can be scared of them or we can interact with them. And nothing's ever gone forever, kind of. But acknowledging the sadness we feel when change occurs, the grief we feel when change occurs, is such a big part of preventative, like, shadow traction. Birth your shadows. Yeah, I'm going to, um, I always create a family altar this time of year. Mm. And and have, have a whole setup and light candles and definitely make room for that. And, you know, and on my family altar, I have, you know, both sides of, of my family and grandparents and, and others that have passed. And, and then I also make room for, uh, for pets, which are a huge part of my life and, uh, and make room for them. And, you know, cause they're, they're a part of my family. So I make room for that as well. Yeah. And I, I make offerings and, you know, food, drink, and then, when the when the time comes to a close, I, I burn the offerings and uh, nice. Yeah, so so pour my pour my grandma a drink and you know add the the green olives because she had like a, a gimlet every day. My grandpa would make her a gimlet at the same time every day, and you know she'd demand it. And at a certain time of day, she'd just be like, "Where's my gimlet?" <laughs> you'd be like, you'd shuffle off and be like, "I have to go make your grandma a gimlet." <laughs> And uh, oh and just those green olives I always associated with her, you know, and, and then make space for um, 
for the grief of the unknown as well. I never knew my other grandparents and, you know, so putting their photos up and, you know, getting to to hear my mother talk about her parents that I never got to meet and, you know, what they liked, what they didn't like, you know, times, times in their life and, and definitely mourning relationships that I never got to have, especially with my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, because I feel like if she had been around, my life would have been very different. So there is, you know, like the the grief of of things that never were is is present for me this time of year as well. Mm. But making space for ancestors is uh is definitely, you know, it comes up around Samhain and Dia de los Muertos is is its own its own tradition as well. If if you celebrate that, then I extend my felicitations and yeah. Yay. Yay. Family's all here. <laughs> yeah, it like super weirded me out. I said something online once um and was like, oh yeah, and like and making making room for ancestors and this time of year or family altar and and uh and I had someone like comment or something and they were like, Oh my god, fuck that. Like, why would you do that? Like that's a doorway, you know, and just the idea of like a doorway, you know, it just and just a completely different like mindset in terms of, you know, like talking about Samhain and like, oh well, like the veil is thin and you know, you welcome your ancestors and they're like, No, like, you know, it's a doorway, like anything can come through. And I'm like, what the like who's your family? Like, what are they bringing? Like, I I mean, (laughs) I know who's coming to dinner. Like, what, what are, what are you worried about? Like (laughs) just this idea that, yeah, they, they were just super freaked out about it and, and yeah, had, had very different beliefs about doorways basically. Like, like making a family altar was the equivalent of like getting drunk and fucking around with a Ouija board. And I was like, um, (laughs) That's interesting. I also wonder if there isn't some layer there of like, well, maybe your family's cool to hang out with, but I'm not hanging out with mine. Like, <laughs> I kind of checked where I was like, what's up with your family? Like, why don't you want? And they were like, no, because anything can come in. And I'm like, oh, so you're not worried about your family? Because I was kind of worried. Like, is it that you don't want like a certain uncle to come or like what? What's the situation here? Like, I don't know. Right. Just a, yeah. I, I mean, like, yeah, the the idea of what the dead are once they're dead is is i mean i think very personal for everybody but um but <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> should be noted that it's 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 a comfort zone that you know depending on what your what your spiritual beliefs are oh man and if anybody's looking for like some 1980s like raunchy movies for <laughs> halloween i just saw the witchboard the other day and i feel like maybe everyone was watching these and got these crazy ideas about like ouija boards and <laughs> mm. <gasps> what, are, what are dead people like if you watch these 1980s ones they're they're epic so yeah, Witchboard, I, I recommend is a mm. fun campy, very campy. Like, why would somebody? Maybe these movies, which I think again are they're movies. They're for entertainment. Maybe. I don't <laughs> I really like I really like talking about horror movies. I keep doing it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I actually like myself, I don't fuck around with Ouija boards. And uh and that's just like a personal thing. Like, do I feel like I have the tools to to control it and do it properly and like not have that be a bad thing. Yeah. Like have I, have I used them in the past? Yeah. But you know, I have my own certain beliefs like and and practices about like what that means or how 
how you would go about that. But for the most part, like I do generally like recommend like, hey, how about like don't don't fuck with it. Like if you don't know what you're doing. And that's because (laughs) I've had experiences of being called on as a witch and like dragged through the night to fix fucking problems that people created for themselves by not taking it seriously and then having to show up like with the you know with with the tools of you know my my practice to to like clear out a space because like people were having like some really intense experiences of like we invited something in and we don't know what it is and it's not benevolent (laughs) and like people waking up with like scratches all over their body or like you know pinch marks or something and and then being like this is not good what do we do and and me just being like you know coming in just like kind of like a cranky on and just being like all right i'm gonna fix it this is the last time i'm doing this the next time you're gonna have to fucking pay me don't do it again what did you learn (laughs) just (sighs) <sighs> oh man well those friends are lucky to have you i guess yeah i do that I, was, I was a little cranky because they were strangers actually <laughs> like i didn't they were friends of friends so i just came in and was like what were you doing knock it off oh I, see, you're nice i would have been like well that's on you i'm just gonna put some salt by my door here like, <laughs> you, can go, you can go now <laughs> thanks for that but, but um yeah <gasps> no that's that's awesome that you're willing to help people with that and I need to be a little bit more I always assume everybody knows what I know and more and um and yeah it's it's really good to make sure you're informed on these things if you haven't already been informed let's see what like there are totally fun games you can play for Halloween but I don't think you should play with your Ouija board just because it was made by was it Hasbro that released them something ridiculous yeah Yeah, like a, a regular old game company released this the board, you know, which is like all fun and fatty. And then, you know, and then people, yeah, have problems and scar themselves forever. Oh, my gosh. You got to see which board. Now I want to hear what you're going to I really want to see it. Yeah, it's on my list. I've got this great <laughs> list of movies from you. Oh, yay. It's how I process all of my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> movies yay a really a really great one is also um i mean in a completely different direction but i love cabin in the woods oh gosh that is a good one it's a really really great one just like just flipping the script on on horror movies in general and just like it's so fucking funny i love it oh there's a few like that i don't know if you ever saw tucker and dale versus evil oh fucking classic i just rewatched that recently my my partner and i just fucking adore that movie it is oh like five stars gold thumbs up all the thumbs up cannot suggest it enough i love that that is a work of genius oh it is so funny oh my gosh it's very well done Mm. i'm trying to think if there's anything else that i've been watching that's like a horror movie that's supposed to be funny i've just been laughing inappropriately at things like oh that's fun oh man i i've been watching hereditary a lot i haven't seen it yet it's up it's like at the top of my list because i hear it's so good but also that it's kind of like a mind fuck it's really good i would say ari aster is probably one of my favorite directors right now and i think he's just putting out brilliant cinematic work um like artistically it's genius it didn't hit me as hard uh in terms of like yeah, it's an emotion. I don't know. I've been doing these horribly emotional roller coaster movies. Like on a scale of let's talk about Kevin to Rosemary's Baby, <laughs> might be closer to let's talk about Kevin. 
I haven't seen uh, that one I, yet either. Oh, uh, uh, that one is not technically a horror film. It is a family drama, which is funny because I guess that's what Hereditary is as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think these are coming up because we've talked about like uh, the the terror and subjugation of the female, and like then how it shows up in horror movies, and both of them are dealing with it. But yeah, really well done. I don't know. I'm not recommending much like I didn't recommend Martyrs out loud. I'm not recommending out loud. Let's talk about Kevin. It's like a two hour movie. Tilda Swinton is brilliant in it. And it took mm-hmm. me like three, three days to watch. It was a toughie. Wow. I had, I had to pause it a lot just to be like, Oh okay. my God, I'm going to just take a minute. It's incredibly emotional and well done. It's well done, but it's, it'll, it's not going to be one of my horror movies that I return to because it makes me feel good. <laughs> Yeah. Like, it's, like, graphic in that way that, that Martyrs was really graphic. And I was like, well, once will do. I'll never forget this movie. That one time I watched it. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Midsummer? Because that's on my to-watch list as well, along with Hereditary. Because yes. that's, that's the same person, right? Ari Aster. And Midsummer is phenomenal i i'm like very hesitant to believe it's even a horror movie but i have talked to some male-bodied people don't do very well with it really it seems it seems more upsetting yeah after you watch it you'll be like that makes sense um male-bodied people have a much harder time with it and they're kind of some hard candy situation or like what do uh it's it's not even hard candy. I don't know if you've seen those memes going around that was like a haunted house for white men where they're just held accountable to their actions. <laughs> like that's that's sort of like yeah, I feel like that might be what's scary for those folks about Midsummer. Um it's just a very like, well, dang. All right, that the, these are archetypal modern men and this is how they show up together and this is the consequences of those actions for people around them. Mm. Um yeah, it's great. Um, but then there's also some triggers that I've noticed for friends who were in religious cults or organizations as children that mm. felt they, they were like stripped of autonomy. So that came up for folks. But other than that, I'd say it is one of the most feel-good horror movies I've ever seen. I watch it regularly. I just showed it to my mother. I don't know if this is helpful or not, but as somebody who's struggled with like suicidal thoughts my for as long as I can remember, I have actually found a lot of medicine in that movie Mm. Um, sort of yeah i don't know in like a really dark way and i I don't want to ruin any of it for you but um yeah maybe it's that yeah yeah i don't know if other people feel that way somebody else who's been living with you know the same thoughts their whole life may not feel that way from that movie but i felt like okay here's some bigger reflection on what i'm going through and a larger perspective outside of myself which was nice. I think for me, part of the suicidal thoughts is a very alone feeling, very the exilansis, like no one could possibly understand what I'm going through. So there's no option now. It's just, I better disappear. And that movie kind of, Midsummer kind of addresses, I think, that feeling. And also what happens to people around us. I don't know. Hmm. It's heavy. It's a nice, heavy horror film with lots of flowers. Well, I'm a fan. <laughs> like emotionally devastating check. <laughs> Slight jolt to my nervous system check. Extra flowers check. <laughs> Did you ever manage to watch Changeling? Or was the disc I... that I gave you kind of just fucked with your system or 
I feel like the disc that you gave me was kind of fucked, and then I ended up finding another machine, and I was able to, like, skip to the end. So I'm missing, like, a 20-minute chunk. And then I think I saw the remake, but then we talked that it wasn't very good. There was a remake? So I'm going to... I think there was a remake. Didn't we talk about it? What? No. Okay, maybe I'm, I'm tripping. I know, and now as we both frantically type changeling into our ecosystem. <laughs> Yeah, 2008, starring, what's her face? Angelina Jolie. No, 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 no. That's a different movie. Oh, it's a totally different movie. Totally different movie. So the the oh. change, the Changeling um, movie that I gave you is a horror film from the 80s that is a ghost right. story. Whereas the Angelina Jolie Changeling movie is about, like, a child's. Like, I, I think, I mean, I haven't seen it, but, like, my understanding was, like, her living child being like her missing child being returned to her, but it being a different child. Right. And of course me thinking that this was a remake of the original, I was like, well, I think they took a lot of, <laughs> they took a lot of liberties <laughs> in this. I don't know. About yeah. That. No, totally different story. Totally different movie. <gasps> All right. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. I need to see the the full film again. I might try to watch it. Oh man. I can, yeah, I, I can give you a different again. disc. Because I gave you like a pirate copy and I have multiple like actual copies and I can just give you one of those. Nice. Sweet. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'd love to borrow it. That sounds awesome. But it's my, f- it's honestly like my favorite ghost story and is my, my favorite horror movie of all time. And let me see what, what fucking year was that? I think um, it was 1980. Uh, yeah, it is. 1980 horror movie. Yeah, favorite favorite ghost story of all time, and it's just really creepy as fuck. Really well done, and and as far as like special effects, it's camera effects, which is like I adore those, and it mm. it did it really well. I'm a fan, and that's my go to ghost story movie. That and What Lies Beneath, actually, I I love that one. Well, have I you ever seen, seen that, that one? one? In a long- been a really long time i'm gonna have to check it out again yeah it had a uh, harrison ford and uh michelle pfeiffer oh dang i just saw aliens for the first time <gasps> how did you live without seeing that for so long i i think i had assumed i'd seen it because i'd seen a sequel at some point and then followed up with the other ones and it's yeah i don't know it came up recently and i was like wait what <laughs> someone's like have you never seen the original alien and i was like i guess i haven't it was so good it's so good <laughs> it was so, so much better had had you and not was- seen alien or had you not seen aliens the second one i had seen aliens and i think i had seen the third one i and just pretend I, uh, the like, third one doesn't exist the third one might have been my first uh, experience, exposure oh, to the world. I am which, so course, sorry. <laughs> yeah, might have been why I kind of wrote it off and was like, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just do something else in my life. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was really very awesome. It's a great movie. And I've been loving leaning into films from, yeah, the 1980s, even earlier where there was real film craft, like you were saying, like yes. the special effects are film special effects and it's freaking neat, man. The quality mm-hmm. that it's really fun. <laughs> well, and I, what I love about the, um, 
the Alien movies is, uh, and I I never really thought about it until I think it was like Ridley Scott or something, or no, it was um it was the director that did the Alien versus Predator movie, which is like a guilty pleasure mm. for me. I'm sorry, but I love it. Like it's <laughs> like I love it, but um, definitely like fan service and like unabashed fan service, but um. But I, I appreciate that sometimes. Sometimes you need that. And where it's just sort of like, you know, it'd be great if we watch these monsters fight. And I'm like, fuck yes. Monsters fighting. All about it. I'll show up and be like, mm, popcorn. But uh, but uh, but yeah, like the, the person that did that movie was talking and was saying what I loved about the original Ridley Scott's were it was the claustrophobia of these spaces Mm. these spaceships were claustrophobic and you had like tunnels and that you were trapped in a space with this creature uh that was that was hunting you and i was like oh my god you're right i never really put that together and then um and then in the alien versus predator they recreated that with um with this pyramid you know situation this pyramid labyrinth situation that they created um because they said like that was a necessary ingredient for an alien movie and i was like oh fucking right on you're right and i had never thought about that which is interesting because with the predator movies it's often open spaces and being hunted in an open space a lot of the time through forests and swamps and such right oh man there's there's so much good older cinema i'm just mm. Yeah, I was thinking about like Pumpkinhead 2 I classic. I haven't seen any oh. Pumpkinhead movie ever. It's okay. The second one's the only one worth watching. Got um, it. Which is like a weird phase, I think, that happened in the 80s, right? Which is maybe why I missed the Alien original. Because, yeah, I think about Dream Warriors, which was the third from Nightmare on Elm Street. Definitely the best one from Freddy Krueger's collection. I've only seen the original a Freddy Krueger movie and never watched any of the other ones. So I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the original and I feel like I also, it was, it was okay, but they get more, they get more of the special effects in Mm -hmm. sort of like evil dead Two. You get all these cool, like claymation effects and other like weird (laughs) ways of accomplishing special effects. I think it's really super fun. I haven't gotten into predator much, but I guess now I'm going to have to. Because that sounds awesome. I did get into the Swamp Thing show before they shut that down. That was pretty decent for superhero. Oh, I don't know it. Yeah, I mean, it's just more superhero claptrap out in the world trying to (laughs) make money on regurgitated ideas. But Swamp Thing was such a cool anti-hero. Like, the concept of this this scientist-turned-plant-man who's, like had ecological goals and a heart of gold (laughs) yo i did see that oh my god oh it's coming back to me you're right and the movies are great oh there's this original 1980s swamp thing movie that's out now that's really on uh, some streaming channel and it's very good and the show was done i want to say the warner brothers maybe it was amc did swamp thing as a show and it got canceled right away and my my hypothesis remains that it's all part of the the 45 administration and their whole thing of like drain the swamp it wouldn't work very well if everybody got behind the superhero who is like save the swamp you know (laughs) (laughs) you know and clearly like anti-rich white guy from the south living on a plantation like that's the that is the bad guy in this show so Mm. it's funding got cut (laughs) 
<laughs> Interesting. But, yeah, and it's not like an amazing show. It doesn't have it's it's not really well done, but it's a fun um like popcorn show, like you were saying. Like it's perfect for those nights when you're like, I just need some popcorn, a little something creepy or you know, that mm-hmm. scary woods, the deep dark woods. There's a Mon- Monsterland was an interesting show I watched recently. Oh, I didn't see Monsterland. Monsterland is is pretty good. It's it's a series of um some some of the storylines connect, but each episode is like a different little vignette kind of kind of thing, little separate story, and uh and like creatures, monsters playing playing a role in it, and uh, it was it was really well done. I really liked it. Uh, I watched Hellstrom, and then I watched Motherland. I adored that had been on my list for oh. a while, but that new show with the uh, the Salem Accord, different different look at witches. I thought it was very groovy, and I also thought it was very respectful in terms of a, a lot of the time when you know, like let's make a show about witches or let's make a movie about witches, and it's like also they exist and there are traditions, and could you not fuck it all to hell, please? <laughs> <laughs> um so the whole like you know trying trying to play with like oh what witches are in this world that we're creating and you know and then just sometimes like i get a bit mad if if it's just if i feel it's disrespectful to reality and uh and that they exist and have history and traditions and beliefs and deities and practices and and when it's like fucked with um in a in a way, I, I, I get cranky. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's very reasonable. Thank you for for coming and just like talking about some some spooky stuff. Yeah, I love the creepy stuff. It's the best. Thank you so much for having me and making space for us to to do all that shadow jibber jabber. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <gasps> Yay. Thank you so much for listening. Please write in with feedback, listener questions, or episode requests to podcast.findingokay at gmail.com. Let me know if you're interested in joining me on the show. I would love to have you. Finding Okay is crowdfunded and paid for out of pocket. I am unemployed and anything helps. You are the ones helping me make this happen. Thank you. A link to the GoFundMe can be found on the brand new podcast website and I post links routinely on my Facebook page. I also post relevant articles, art, memes, and resources daily. Feel free to friend me. Hecate F-O-K. H-E-C-A-T-E F dot O-K-A-Y. You can also find me on Instagram. I have created a private Finding OK Facebook group for survivors. You are welcome there, and I hope you'll join us. Please take a minute to rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you use to help the podcast reach more listeners. Reviews are featured on the new website, and you can get a shout-out on the next episode. Thank you so much for your continued support. Please share, subscribe, and donate if you can. Thank you again for listening, and have a blessed Samhain. This has been Finding OK. Black Lives Matter. Take care of yourself. Your heart is a muscle! your fist, keep on loving, keep on pointing, and hold on, and hold on, hold on for your life, for your life, for your life, your heart is a muscle, size of your fist, keep on loving, keep on fighting, and hold on, and hold on, hold on for your life, 
yes, yes, accept the mystery.